0: Good morning, friends. It's good to have this opportunity to open God's word with you. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us one more time briefly, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and we confess that we believe, help our unbelief. Uh, Some of us, our faith is weak. But we take comfort not in the smallness of our faith, but the perfect Savior that our faith is in. For those who are like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, we pray that you would encourage them with reality that you will not break a bruised reed or uh, snuff out a smoldering wick. Encourage us today through your word and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week, actually the past couple weeks have been pretty rough ones. Uh, Most of you are likely aware of the terrible shootings that took place in Lewiston, Maine this past week. Uh, 18 dead, 13 injured, and a community devastated by grief, by anxiety, and by fear it's unfortunately one of those increasingly common occurrences that testifies to the evil in the world, to the fallenness of the world. And as terrible as it was, it's also, unfortunately one of countless examples of evil that have occurred in our world even over just the last year. We think about just to, to two weeks ago, and the evil acts committed by Hamas against the nation of Israel. And it's not just moral evil that threatens us, right? There are things like natural disasters, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tornadoes, famines, and hurricanes that have claimed countless lives throughout human history. Add to that the various forms of sickness and disease which have ravaged humanity throughout human history. This world is a dangerous place, So it's no surprise that throughout history, people have gone to great lengths to protect themselves from life's dangers, right? In the ancient world, people protected themselves from other humans, other nations, by building massive fortresses. In the modern world, nations protect themselves from other nations by building up the biggest possible arsenal and army. We try to protect ourselves from natural disasters with seismic monitoring and advanced meteorology. We try to protect our bodies from disease with supplements and medicine. We protect our homes with alarm systems. We're a people in search of protection. But the reality is that even the most advanced forms of protection against moral and natural evils eventually fail. We simply don't have the ability to perfectly protect ourselves from the innumerable dangers that surround us. But just because we don't have the ability to perfectly protect ourselves doesn't mean we should sink into despair or allow anxiety and fear to overtake us. And that's part of the message of Psalm 91 that we're gonna be looking at today. So I wanna invite you to open in your Bibles to Psalm 91. If you're using the Bible that we provided, you'll find the passage on page 497. I want to encourage you to open to the passage so that you can follow along as I read it, and I want to encourage you to also keep it open in front of you throughout our time because we're going to be looking often at it in our time together. Let me go ahead and read Psalm 91 for us now. This is God's Word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler." No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. If you're taking notes, the main point of Psalm 91 is that God provides perfect protection for those who trust in Him, so we don't need to fear. God provides perfect protection for those who trust in Him, so we don't need to fear. And what we're gonna do with the rest of our time is walk through Psalm 91 and we're gonna see how God provides perfect protection for those who trust in Him, and then we're gonna consider why we don't need to fear. So, first, God provides perfect protection for those who trust in him. And we see that it's God who provides our perfect protection right away. Go ahead and look with me at verse one. And what I want you to notice, not only that is that it's God who provides perfect protection, but what I want you to notice is what we learn about God in verse one. We learn that he is the most high God, which means that there is none higher than him. Our God sits on a throne that's higher than any other throne. God doesn't look up to anyone, literally or figuratively. He is over all, above all, greater than all. He is the most high God, which means he alone is able to provide perfect protection for his people. Not only that, but we also see in verse 1 that he is the almighty God. He is all-powerful. Nobody and no thing can limit his power, right? Nobody can stop him from doing what he wants to do. Nobody can attack him. Nobody can hurt him. There's nobody on earth who strikes fear in him. He isn't scared of anyone or anything. The Puritan William Gurnall, reflecting on the almighty nature of God, once said this. He said, One Almighty is more than many mighties. One Almighty is more than many mighties. Line the mighties up and the Almighty will knock them down. Our God is the King of the Hill. He is the King of the Jungle. He has been and always will be the last man standing, transcendent, all powerful, the Most High and Almighty God. And this Most High. And Almighty God has a name. Look at verse 2. I will say to the Lord. When you see the Lord in all caps like that, that's not some generic title for an important person. It's the divine name of the God of Israel, which means that the God of Israel is the most high and almighty God. Not the God of all the nations around them, not Molech or Baal or any other God, but the God of Israel is the most high and almighty God. That means the God of Israel is the one who's above all others and stronger than all others. And it means that if we want to be protected by a God who can offer perfect protection, then we need to know the God of Israel, the Lord most High. And what's amazing about the Lord is not just that he's the most high and almighty, that he also draws near to lowly creatures like us. Notice in verse one, he is a shelter for us. But just think about this real quick. Like if you went to the White House and just walked right up and were like, I would like to see the president of the United States. Would they be like, sure, come on in. Take refuge in him as a shelter. If you want to see any other king of any other nation, would they just open the gates to you? No, they're going to like put up fences. You cannot come near him. But the king of all creation, the Lord of heaven and earth, says to lowly creatures like us, draw near to me. Because nobody can attack him. Nobody can harm him. He's not afraid of anyone coming to, coming to him. He calls lowly creatures like us to come take shelter in him. Find Refuge in him. He is a refuge and fortress for us. Look at verse four. He is like a giant mother bird who spreads out her wings and covers her children. He's not just high and lifted up, but he stoops down and draws near to us. And we can think about this straight from scripture, right? How God, the God of Israel, was also near to Israel, Kids, let me get your attention real quick. When the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness, did God draw near to them? You could shout it out. Yes. And how did he appear among them in the wilderness? A cloud by day and a Fire by night, that's right. He appeared in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The most high and almighty God, the God who created the universe, was near to the people of Israel and he provided perfect protection for them. Let's just look quickly at the rest of the psalm. His perfect protection is perfectly clear, right? Look at verse three. He delivers from the snare of the fowler. That's a way to describe a dangerous person who's trying to hunt down, like they're hunting the nation of Israel. God's gonna protect them from the snare of the fowler. And he delivers from deadly pestilence, from deadly disease. Now keep going in verse four. He covers you with his pinions, right? That's the outer part of the wing as the mother bird gathers her children under her wings. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Right, back in the day in battle, when warriors went to battle... They wouldn't carry their own shield. They would just carry their sword or whatever weapon they had. And they would have a guy going in front of them known as an armor bearer. And the shields that they would carry, the armor bearer would carry, was like a movable wall. The thing was gigantic, which means it was not all that maneuverable. So that's the shield going out like a giant iron wall in front of the warrior so he's protected. And the armor bearer would also carry a smaller shield to guard from arrow attacks from above or from the side because he couldn't just swing this wall around. That's God is a shield and a buckler, meaning his people are gonna be protected from all attacks, from all angles, whether in front, from the sides, or from behind. God is going to protect them. Now look at verse five. You won't fear the terror of night. Why? Because Yahweh, the Lord, Dwells among us in a pillar of fire by night. And when a pillar of fire is among you at night, right? Everything is bright. You'll be protected in battle, protected from plague, protected from destruction, day and night, all the time. Verse 7 and 8, look there with me. In battle, thousands and thousands will fall around you, but you won't be harmed at all. Verse 10, no evil will ever harm you. Verse 11, God's angels will protect you from harm, and you'll trample on and defeat the lions and snakes that prowl in the wilderness. Verses 14 to 16, God promises deliverance, protection, rescue, and salvation. This is a picture of complete protection. God is like a perfect Force field around his people. Kids, if you've ever played tag or freeze tag or anything like that, God is like the safety zone that you can run to where nobody can touch you. And whoever's it, they they like come near to you, but because they can't tag you, you can just make faces at them, you can mock them, right? Because there's no way they can get you. There's no way they can harm you. With God as your refuge, you're protected from all harm. We have to admit, though, that when we read about this type of protection, Seems kind of far-fetched, doesn't it? Like, we look around us and we see people getting harmed and experiencing difficulty. We see Christians, God's people, experiencing hard things. But when you read the Old Testament, you do find account after account of this type of perfect protection. When the nation of Israel was being hunted down by the Egyptian army, God stood between Israel and Egypt and kept the Israelites from being harmed. When they journeyed in the wilderness, God protected them from the arrows of their enemies. When they entered the promised land and went to battle with the nations that lived there, thousands and thousands fell, but Israel was protected because the Lord was with them. Anytime the Lord was with them, They were perfectly protected from harm. But you also know, if you read the Old Testament, that Israel wasn't always perfectly protected from harm. They lost battles. They suffered plagues. They were wrecked by pestilence and were attacked by snakes and lions. So what gives? Is this psalm just a lie? Is it just some exaggerated way to simply prove a point that God sometimes protects his people in some ways, even if not perfectly? Well, obviously, I don't think that's the case. And I think the reason is here in Psalm 91. The reason is because God didn't promise perfect protection to everyone in Israel. Look at verse two again. He offers perfect protection to... Those who trust in him. Look again at verse 9. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. That's a picture of a person trusting in the Lord. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, no evil will befall you. The offer of perfect protection is only for those who perfectly trust in God, which is why this promise wasn't finally realized by the people of Israel. They suffered defeat. They experienced plagues and famines. They experienced the terror of night and the destruction of day. They weren't delivered by God. They weren't rescued by God. They weren't satisfied with long life. Why? Look at verse 14. Because they didn't perfectly hold fast to God in love. They didn't ultimately trust in him. Theirs was a story of constantly trusting in things other than God. They trusted in wealth. They trusted in their possessions. They trusted in power. They trusted in political alliances. They even shaped and fashioned for themselves gods other than the gods of God of Israel and worshiped those gods. They trusted in themselves until they were eventually sent into exile for their sins. But when you look at the psalm, you also have to recognize that this psalm wasn't meant for the entire nation. It was meant for a single individual. Psalm 91 looks forward to an individual who would perfectly trust in God, who would take complete refuge in God, who would hold fast to God in love. Notice again in verse two, look look again there with me. There is a singular man speaking. I will say to the Lord, I, not we as a nation, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Then notice in verses 14 to 16, God is speaking about this singular man who trusts in him. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. Because he knows my name, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And there is only one man that has ever lived who took this perfect refuge in God, who made God his fortress, who called God my God, who perfectly trusted in God, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus called God my God, didn't he? What did he say on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm the only one who has ever perfectly obeyed you. Why have you forsaken me, my God? Verse 14, Jesus is the one who held fast to God in love. Jesus said, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Second half of verse 14, Jesus is the one who knows the name of God. What did Jesus say in John's gospel? I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. It's no wonder that out of all of scripture, Satan chose to cite this psalm in order to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. When Jesus was in the wilderness, right, Satan took him up on the top of the temple and told him to prove that he was the son of God by throwing himself off the temple, and then Satan cited verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 91. Hey, throw yourself off the temple, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up if you jump off this temple, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You say you're the son of God, you're the one who trusts in him, he'll perfectly protect you if you jump off this temple, throw yourself down. But Jesus knew that if he threw himself down, he wouldn't be perfectly trusting in God. Because trust in God manifests itself in obedience to God. Acting irrationally, making foolish and ultimately deadly choices like throwing yourself off a building is not what it looks like to trust in God. Besides, Jesus didn't come to throw himself off the temple and strike his foot against a stone, he came to offer himself on the cross and instead strike his foot against the head of the serpent and the lion. Jesus came to crush the head of the serpent, Satan, who prowls around, Peter says, like a roaring lion. I mean, you, you, you do have to take a step back and just not admire Satan, because we don't want to admire Satan for anything, But it's just like, wow, the gall, the pompous arrogance of Satan to literally cite a psalm that predicts his own demise to the Son of God standing right in form. But you think about what's going on here. Satan has tempted every other human being that has ever lived to disobey God and turn away from trusting in God. He could cite whatever verses he wants to, and every human he's ever seen has said, you know what, I'm actually gonna turn from trusting in God and I'm gonna follow you. So Satan comes to Jesus in the wilderness. Whether or not he knows he's the son of God, he's looking at a perfect record. Every human being that has ever lived has fallen and turned away from God's instruction. You will be no different. And he has the temerity to stand before the son of God and cite a psalm that predicts his own destruction, thinking you're not gonna fulfill this psalm You're not going to be the one, but Jesus, praise be to God and praise God for our salvation, did not turn away from God's instruction. He did not throw himself off the temple. He did not turn away from trusting in God, but instead went to the cross where he took his heel and stomped on the head of the serpent. And he came to do that by perfectly trusting in God, even to the point of death, by offering himself on the cross To bear the punishment for his people, to bear the penalty for our lack of trust in God, to take the judgment those of us who've trusted in him deserve for not holding fast to God. And because he and he alone perfectly trusted in God, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. Look at the second half of verse 15. I will rescue him and him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Because Jesus, perfectly trusted in God, Jesus experienced the perfect protection that God promised in Psalm 91. But here's what's so glorious about the gospel. Jesus doesn't just take our sins. The gospel is that he also gives to us his perfect righteousness. That means that if you've trusted in God, even though you have perfectly trusted in him at all times, even though you might have disobeyed from time to time, even though your faith may be weak and failing and fluttering and going up and down just kind of like a roller coaster looking like the stock market, up and down, up and down, right? Because Jesus perfectly trusted in God and if you've trusted in him, he gives to you his Perfect righteousness, such that when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see our weakness of faith primarily. He sees the perfect record and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so you and I also are promised this same perfect protection. When God assesses our trust, he regards it as the perfect trust of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was perfectly righteous... He received all the promised blessings in scripture, including the promises of perfect protection from Psalm 91. Where am I going with this? Since the gospel is not just that Jesus took our sins, but that Jesus also gives us his righteousness, then with his righteousness, we also receive all the promised blessings in scripture through faith in him. Right, for Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, if you know it, say it with me, for all the promises of God find there, yes it is. we is, y'all can do it better than that, I know you can, for all the promises of God find there, yes in him, in Jesus it is always yes, and that means that if you've trusted in Jesus, when you open to Psalm 91 and you read of this otherworldly protection, this perfect protection offered by the most high and almighty God of Israel revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you can know that these promises in Psalm 91 are yes, in him. If you've trusted in him, through faith in Jesus, God becomes our refuge. Through faith in Jesus, we can abide in God's very presence. Through faith in Jesus, God becomes our fortress. He completely covers us with his wings. Through faith in Jesus, God perfectly protects us because God perfectly protects those who trust in him. Now you might be thinking, John, that's all well and good. But the reality is, if you haven't noticed, John, bad things happen to those who trust in God. Evil things happen to them. We even we're praying about Christians experiencing persecution. Sickness happens. What, what gives? What gives is this. The protection that God promises to his people is perfect protection of our souls from ultimate harm and judgment. Not perfect protection from physical harm in this life. I want you to listen to this. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 21, verses 16 to 19 you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your life. Huh? You will be put to death? You will be hated by all for my namesake? but not a hair of your head will perish. You said I'm gonna be put to death, and now you're saying not a hair of my head will perish. What are you talking about, right? Jesus is saying you will be offered up to death. Physical harm, evil will happen to you, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Ah, oh, he's talking about eternal spiritual life. Friends, even though we may face physical harm, sickness, evil, and even death in this life, we will still gain our lives because god perfectly protects those who trust in him and because of that look again at verse five you don't need to fear the dangers of this world now listen some of you may be thinking that because you do still feel fear that somehow you've failed right like Psalm 91 is, is somehow telling us that we need to be able to walk through life with perfect confidence and courage because of what Psalm 91 teaches. But the reality is fear is something that all of us struggle with to one degree or another. I struggle with fearing rejection. I fear conflict sometimes. I fear people breaking into our home. Sometimes I can't sleep at night because I, like, have this idea in my mind. Somebody's going to break in the home tonight. It's like, I can, now I can't fall asleep because I'm afraid. I'm still kind of afraid of the dark. Like, the dark is scary, y'all. I get it. I get what my, like, I like tell Knox, Knox, go down to the basement and give me this. He's like, no, I'm not going down there. I'm like, you know what, Knox? That's why I told you to go down there. I'm not, I don't want to go down there either. <laughs> right? And the reason that all of us in one form or another struggle with fear is because fear is one of the primary fallouts of sin. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they immediately felt two things. Can any of the kids or teens tell us what those two things they felt were? Olivia? Fear, and then what was the other one? Guilt, shame, that's exactly right, great job. One of the first things they felt when they sinned against God was fear. Oh no, we are no longer perfectly protected by God because we are not taking refuge in God, and now we feel fear because the world around us is dangerous. They were afraid, they hid from God. Sin destroyed the confident trust in God's protection that mankind enjoyed. And all mankind since then has known what it means to be afraid, to be afraid of the unknown, to be afraid of being harmed, to be afraid of being abandoned, to be afraid of death. It's an, it's an inescapable feature of life in a fallen world. I just want to ask you, what are you afraid of today? Right, what, what strikes fear in you Now, I'm I'm confident that all of us will fear the big, obvious things like losing a loved one or experiencing some terrible evil. But I wonder how many of you fear things like loneliness or losing your job or or having some struggle with sin exposed or fear not being accepted or fear losing control in life. What is it that you fear and why? I I wonder if you've ever asked yourself that question. Why do I fear this thing? Can you articulate it? The answer to that question will bring you face to face in your relationship with God. It'll it'll show you the ways that you doubt God's word or doubt his love for you or doubt his power, right? Fear exposes the, the smallness of our faith, right? Ed Welch said, fear and worry reveal that our faith is indeed small. If you're looking to plumb the depths of worry, you can find it in your mixed allegiances. You trust God for some things, but not others. You, you trust him for heaven, but not for earth. I wonder, what, what do your fears tell you about your trust in God, right? But again, I wanna I want say, it's not, it's not as though we should expect to live fear-free. That's, that's unrealistic. There's a reason why the most repeated command in scripture is, do not fear, do not be afraid. It's repeated over 200 times because of how prone God's people are to fear. But God commands us not to fear in order to remind us that the things we fear don't have ultimate power over us no matter how terrible they may seem. So it's not that we should expect to live fear-free lives, but we should fight by faith against fear ruling our lives. We don't, we don't want fear to be the boss of us because let's be honest, fear is a terrible boss. Welch, again, says fear causes us to run from something, but it doesn't show us where to run to. It's kind of like running around with the chicken chicken with your head cut off. Like, I'm running from this thing, but where am I going? And because we have no direction, we're not looking at where we're going, we're not thinking of running to the Lord, there's nothing around us that can offer us protection from the thing that we're running from, and so we just run around in fear, and the, the cycle of fear gets worse and worse, right? It convinces us of danger, but it doesn't point the way to peace and rest. But faith in the midst of fear directs us to God's word and to God's promises and to God's character and to God's love. One author said God's self revelation is a higher authority than our feelings. What has God revealed about himself? He's revealed that through faith in Jesus, the most high and almighty God becomes your refuge and your fortress. When this psalm was written, people would build fortresses high up on mountains to protect them from other people groups. And fortresses have been excavated whose walls were 15 feet thick. I don't know how thick the walls of your home are, but if they're like mine. It's like eight, nine inches. Like 15 feet thick. What happens when you're inside a fortress with walls that are 15 feet thick and your enemies are outside banging on the walls? What happens is you don't feel fear. Like, y'all can't get through these walls. They're 15 feet thick. Y'all are crazy. Right? When you take God as your refuge and fortress, there is nothing that can ultimately harm you. You go about your business confident of protection from ultimate harm, and that type of confident fearlessness should mark our lives as Christians because the most high and almighty God is our fortress. And if we need more reasons not to fear, God provides them throughout scripture. Consider some of the reasons God provides in scripture. God is the Lord of life and death and you will not die apart from his gracious decree. Other people cannot harm you apart from God's gracious will from you, Psalm 118. God is never taken by surprise or caught off guard, Psalm 121. The plans of evil people and nations cannot come to pass apart from God's will, Psalm 33. God will be with us, help us, and uphold us in trouble, Isaiah 41, and this isn't wishful thinking, right? The next time you read the gospels, I want you to notice how many times Jesus is surrounded by people who want to harm him and he miraculously slips away. Why does that happen? Because God promised him in Psalm 91 that he would protect him from evil. It wouldn't come near to Jesus' tent until the appointed time had come for Jesus to experience evil. But the reason God allowed him to experience the evil of the cross was because that through the cross, he was bringing about the greatest good. It was through the cross that Jesus would trample down the serpent, Satan, on our behalf. And like Jesus in the gospels, God's sovereign power will so superintend your life that you will be supernaturally protected from evil until God chooses to allow it to touch your life. But when he allows it to touch your life, you can confidently endure it knowing that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And not only do we not need to fear the evils that we experience in life, we don't need to fear Satan. And we don't need to fear death. Why? Because through faith in Christ, we share in Christ's victory Over Satan. By faith, we become members of Christ's body. And since we're members of Christ's body, we participate in the experience of the fulfillment of the promises of Psalm 91, including the promise of trampling down the serpent, right? Paul says, Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Why? Because we are in Christ and members of his body. But it's not just evil and Satan that we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear death. The promise of ultimate rescue, of deliverance, of honor, long life, and salvation are also yours through faith in Christ. This is why Paul could boldly mock death, saying death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In Christ, death has been defamed. Right? If you've ever seen a, a, a boxing match where one boxer is being beaten so badly, is beating on the other so badly that the ref jumps in and calls the fight, but the boxer who is getting pummeled on still thinks he can fight, and so he's got the ref is standing in front of him, he doesn't realize what's going on, and he's still kind of throwing wild punches like he, he wants to keep fighting. That's a picture of Satan and death. Jesus dealt death, sin, and Satan a, he, a death blow, and the fight has been won. They might still be wildly throwing swings like they still have a chance, but we know that Jesus Christ will protect us from all evil. So our task is not to transform into superficial, sunny optimists. It's for us to, be, to, to grow in optimism by faith, right? The kingdom of God is advancing. God's reign is spreading. There will be justice, and when we belong to Christ, it will end with joy. So as often as you fear the unknowns to come, of the future, remind yourself of what you can be certain your future includes, glory, redemption, restoration, deliverance, rescue, salvation, because the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 91 is yet to come. When Christ returns to rescue his people, to deliver them from their troubles, and to bring them to the home that he has prepared for him. There, God will be our refuge forever. Think of what we read in Revelation. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. In that place, fear will finally and completely fall away and be replaced by the pure vision of our faithful God who provides perfect protection to his people now and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for the Spirit's work in our lives to not fear the circumstances of our lives, to not fear the evil of the world, to to stare at it and engage it with realistic understanding, realizing that, that we may be touched by evil in our lives at some point, and we will all experience death, but that we don't need to fear those things because Jesus Christ has overcome the world and has promised that he will raise us from the dead and bring us to be with him where he is. We pray that looking forward to that day would help us to live today with courage in the face of the world's evils. We pray that those who don't know Jesus Christ would take refuge in him and know that perfect protection that you offer to all your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.